Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello at a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Scott Bolton. How are you doing, Scott? Tyler, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We've been chatting offline here, and uh, like I always joke, I got to remember to push the record button. Scott, you're the president CEO, CEO of United Farmers of Alberta Cooperative. Um, I would say affectionately referred to tip traditionally as I hear it as the UFA. Exactly, the UFA. So let's, I think we should take it from the top, and I never want to, especially when you've got an acronym involved, I never want to make any assumptions that people know. Maybe tell us, set the stage, tell us a little bit about the UFA, kind of your role there, the role it plays in our province, and then we'll peel back the layers on this conversation around uh, ag and forestry in Alberta. Yeah, um, well, thanks for having me, first off, Tyler. And and so UFA, that topic, uh, how much time you got? Because it's, <laughs> it's a very... It's, it's I'll leave it to you to topic. do the abbreviated version or whatever you feel is required. It's all, we got all day. We well, got all night. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version, but I want to give you a bit of history for the, uh, because it's important context. I feel, um, I'm a history buff, so maybe, uh, um, yeah, that's why, but it's an 110 year old cooperative. It, um, it, it, it came, it started, uh, as a political party. Um, and it was based on, came out of the progressive movement of the late, 19th, 30th century, early 20th century, um, uh, you know, social justice, uh, women's rights uh, uh, was sort of a, uh, formed by farmers as a way to, to, to uh, uh, you know, fight fairly against the banks and railways and that sort of thing. But it actually started as a political party. And believe it or not, it was the government of Alberta, uh, elected government from 19, I think 1920 to 1935. And uh, it was the UFA that brought in uh, women's uh, right to vote, uh, repatriated mineral rights to the province from the federal government, you know, to set, set Alberta up for its success and its wealth that it has today. And then in the middle of the Depression, we got kicked out of office because we couldn't solve that one. So, um, you know, it, it, second, uh, second uh, female cabinet minister in the history of the British Commonwealth was in the UFA government. So a very progressive organization, and that's in the DNA you know, the progressive and the old progressive conservative party. That's that's the P, that's the UFA. Okay. Oh, interesting. And, I, had, uh, I had no idea. That, yeah. is a, that is an interesting piece of history and certainly sets the, yeah, sets the yeah. stage for the role that you that you play, I would imagine, currently in Alberta. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, we got kicked out of government and fast forward, we, we just had to find something to do, I guess. So we got into business. <laughs> and our business um, is to uh, provide the, the goods and services that farmers and ranchers need to do their to uh, grow crops, to raise livestock. Uh, so we're a retailer of product to uh, our membership. Uh, and we've been doing that ever since. And, uh, you know, a, a pretty sizable organization today. We've got about 150, uh, call it client-facing locations, uh, farm and ranch stores, petroleum sites, we call card locks. Uh, we do bulk fuel. We have a construction business, contract maintenance business. We have a big livestock services business. So a pretty big operation. Uh, almost all of our uh, uh, footprint is in Alberta, a little bit on the edges in BC and Saskatchewan. Uh, but it's based on the cooperative model, which is unique. It's different than a company. Uh, you know, we, the more shares you own in a company, the more control you have of a company in a co-op. It's different. It doesn't matter if you farm 50,000 acres uh, or 500 acres. Uh, you get one. You get if you're if you're one member, you get one vote. So no one really controls the co-op because. You know, we have 100,000 members, and so, you know, if they all qualify to vote, that's, you know, you, 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 everybody has an equal say. Uh, so that's the unique feature of a lot of cooperatives, that we, and, and it does make us different than a, a normal company. Although, having said that, I can tell you, we're, we're still, the laws of economics still apply to us. We're a business. We, we want to run it profitably. And if we make money at the end of the year, we pay it back to our members through what we call a, a patronage dividend. Um, that's, the, that's the concept. 
I was reading some of the words just in, in some of your information, the patronage side of things. So in, in technicality, are you, would you be considered a non-for-profit? I know that that's a, that's a very specific term that can be applied from a tax structure or just from a how you operate, but fundamentally, any profit that you have does go back to your members. So it is reinvested into the membership that way, that way or to your, to, as yeah. patronage? Mm. I would not characterize this as a not-for-profit, okay. in fact, Tyler, um, because we are for-profit. Um, you know, we're trying- It's just what so you we, do with said profit is the difference. Yeah. And okay. now- you know, we don't, you know, and we may invest some of our profits back in trying to grow the business. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, it's the member that owns, uh, that owns us that with, through their share. And, and uh, you know, that's our job is through the, you know, that's their investment. And our job is to, to distribute the profits of, of an efficiently run uh, business. Uh, so now look, we compete. Our members don't have to buy from us. And frankly, if we don't offer the right product at the right price and the right, you know, the, the right service or what have you, they'll, they'll go somewhere else. So we're in the marketplace just like anyone else. It's just that we're, you know, we're different in so much as we actually are the membership ultimately. And and in some sense, uh, it beyond the, the, the economic model that we operate, we're a for-profit, you know, business. Uh, we also play a role in, you know, we have a responsibility to our rural communities to attempt to help rural communities thrive and, uh, and, and prosper in today's world. And also we're something of an advocate really of our membership too, to, way to get a message from uh, the grassroots, if you like, uh, out to the general public, particularly urban people, because, you know, this day and age, there is a, we all know, a rural-urban divide, and I think the, the co-op can play a role in, in bridging that gap, to be honest with you. There's something of a voice of the. No, I appreciate you're right. I think we're be, we've become more and more disconnected. You know, the, everybody had either, you know, a friend or a relative or a grandparent or a family that had a farm, and I think that's changing as 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 the world shifts. <clears throat> so curious, just the one back to the the tie to government and your involvement. Do you guys do any? Are you guys still involved from an advocating or any type of lobbying? Or is there anything involved with that at all? Or is those government roots in the past, and now it's more about just the message and then doing what's also best for your for your members. Well, I, I should put it, say categorically so that no one is worried that is, it has a political bent uh, that we're not planning to run for government again. We, we we tried our hand at that and got unceremoniously kicked out once, and we we're, so that's done forever. But we're not what you might consider an advocacy group or a lobby group. Um, there's plenty of those in agriculture. So, you know, because in some sense, we, we represent all ag agriculture, you know, not just ranchers, but also you know, farmers that grow plant protein, really, through peas and lentils. So, I mean, we're not trying to take one position over another position. But what we do want to try and do and have a role to play, I think, is to bring uh, the facts uh, from a and, and the rural perspective, in a way, uh, to the to the general public. Because you hit it on the head. I mean, the old, you know, a generation ago, or you or I, our generation, um, mine at least, I mean, you, you had a connection, one degree of separation at most to a farmer. And nowadays it's different, right? A lot of people in the city have never been to a farm, really. And so that's a problem. And, and they, they grew up with social media, of course, and, and the problems it creates of getting a common message out of the facts out. You know, that's really a, a, a role we can play. But with all that, that said, uh, frankly, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're running a hard-nosed business here, and that's my day job. <laughs> I, I, stuff, I appreciate uh, that is my after hours job call it. <laughs> I'm curious your perspective. You touched on it a little bit, the rural and kind of, you know, the small town rural environment, which certainly there's lots of, lots of headlines that, you know, talking about rural communities, quote unquote, dying, real, real, rural yeah. communities not being sustainable. So when it comes to the ag industry and maybe for context, like just how big is the ag industry in Alberta? Cause like, you know, again, one of those things, if you're not involved with it, you don't realize, but yet it literally surrounds us. <laughs> you know, when you, if, you know, speaking us, I'm talking about as a Calgarian, you don't have to drive 20 minutes and I other direction and you're in you're somehow going to be in an agriculture area but uh, from an economic perspective I think I think it often gets overlooked and I often have conversations and people list off what the economy is here ag gets left out I think just innocently not not even purposely mm -hmm. yeah and um, you know look I'm I, I should have brought my list of statistics to quote back to you but I, I think you know if I use a Canadian stat which applies well in Alberta I think we're you know it's 150 billion dollars of the Canadian economy which is almost 10%. We'd be even higher here in Alberta. You're right. It's a quiet 10% or 15%. That's a nice, yeah, that's, you're right. It's, it is a very it quiet, is. it just, and, it just happens. And, and, and it just happens. You're right. And, and we are, um, you know, uh, the bedrock, one of the 
of, of the Alberta economy. I will say this, the, the pandemic reminded us all of its importance. And, uh, you know, energy gets the headlines as it should. It's been an incredible resource and, and success story for the province. Um, but look, the reality is the world's changing and not necessarily uh, for the better for our for the energy sector. And it's got to adapt and adapt fast. And, and there's going to be consequences to that. So it does cause you to turn your attention. Well, what else have we got going for us? And, and, and agriculture is sitting here right in front of us. We've got what are 25 million acres of cultivated cropland and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, that's a huge uh, uh, food production base that this province provides on a global scale. Uh, we're a major producer of agricultural product and that, that and I'm not even talking or including the, the livestock sector in that discussion, although a major beef cattle uh, part of the agriculture economy as well. So we're a quiet, we're a quiet big. How's that? <laughs> no, I, I do. Well, I, I understated. Uh, curious, you touched on it a little bit. How has COVID shifted the focus around kind of the agri-food side? Like we've all heard, or you don't have to pay much attention to, to realize like the fragility of our food chain, like some of the transportation logistics issues. Like I think a lot of that kind of came top of mind. And again, back to the things we take for granted until all of a sudden they're, they're disrupted through the course of your membership and just what you've seen over the last, you know, 15, 16 months, kind of what, how was it impacted through COVID and maybe kind of coming out the other side? What have we learned? What can we, what can we do differently to maybe make sure we're better secure or just better set up to be resilient in the future for these types of, what are said to be things that are going to be recurring more frequently? I hope not too soon, but that is certainly the headlines out there right now. Yeah. And boy, boy, that's a really good uh, question. Cause if you, if you go back, when did the pandemic start to, you know, March, let's say in, 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 March March 13th world. was when we all wondered, and March 16th we were all working from home. <laughs> Certainly, that was my, that was our world for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, March 13th was our supposed to be our annual general meeting. Oh, we were supposed okay, to bring wow. all of our delegates from all across Alberta to Calgary for our AGM, uh, and we canceled it, of course, yeah. uh, the day before. Uh, you know, I think the day before the NHL shut down. That was a crazy week, wasn't it? And that, and and yeah. and the reason we have our AGM in March uh, is because right after that's over with, farmers get out and start their spring planning. So the, the, the sort of undertold story here is that uh, not only did we have this crisis, we had the crisis right when spring planning was going to start. And, and those couple of weeks, that late March, early April period, let's say, were a scary time for all of us, frankly. But, you know, uh, as a, a leader of an agricultural cooperative, I, I was really worried. We had to get crops planted. And here we are with the potential for a supply chain that was you know, going to seize up. First off, are, are farmers going to be able to borrow money? Uh, who's going to give them credit? Uh, everybody was scared. You know, we had jumped out of an airplane collectively and had nowhere uh, to go but down. We didn't know where the, where we were gonna, the landing place was. So, you know, that was the first concern was credit in the system. And then all of the links in the supply chain, because, you know, these days we run everything so lean, you know, they call it just-in-time delivery. Uh, people don't want to have companies, ours included, don't want to have too much inventory because you got to finance it. So you, you tend to bring it in when you need it. Well, that's that's wonderful when it all works well. But what happens when you're in a crisis and you got, you know, transportation bottlenecks, all sorts of uh, pinch points in the system that get exposed? Um, and boy, oh boy, I, I, I got to tell you, it, it it took a lot of coming together. A bunch of businesses like ours started talking to each other and, and cooperating, frankly sharing information because we had to to make sure the supply chain worked fortunately it did crops got planted and in the end a lot of farmers actually had a pretty good year because after covid died down and all the stimulus money started to take effect commodity prices went up and that helped farmers i'll just come back to one crisis though that did occur and that's on the don't forget about the meatpacking side the the, the cattle industry you know 70 percent i think it is of canadian um, beef demand go the production goes through two plants in Alberta, the JBS plant in Brooks and the Cargill plant. In yeah, and unfortunately, we all heard the news of what was happening there. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they went down. All of a sudden, what do you do? Uh, I mean, you've got all the cattle coming through the system. Nope. And you've got this pinch point. So anyway, my to summarize it, my, you know, this was a real challenge. We got through it. Uh, and then we get on to other things. I, I hope we, we remember those 
That's my next question, Ian. That's kind of the the old, you know, don't waste a good crisis comment. Uh, You know, it's only a waste if you you didn't learn from it because, yeah, right, we had the shared experience. So are you seeing some different thinking coming out of it? Or maybe it's early days because we're coming out of it. I think people, first step is feeling that we're actually out of it is probably what people are after right now. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I... I don't know. I, I'm I'm worried that we're going to forget these lessons very quickly. Historically, because, we 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 don't have good memories, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's that saying? You know, if you don't learn the lessons of history, you're bound to repeat the True. Mistakes. And as as a historian, I bet you are more, are more close to that than some of us because you're yeah. right. You're like, oh, this but, looks a lot familiar to this time, this time, and that time. <laughs> yeah. I, listen, I hope so. And I, and I think one of the things we do, we got um, so right now the problem in in agriculture, just like everything else, is is getting supply of product because there's so much demand in the world today. I don't know if you've seen some of these clips of the shipping, the container traffic backups on these big shipping ports in Long Beach and all of this. And it's, it's, so our problem now is you're getting the products and, you know, we sell, we retail the products farmers and ranchers need, well, they're demanding it in the store and they expect us to have it there. And it, a lot of it comes from Asia ultimately. And we've, you know, we got supply chain bottlenecks all over the place. So one thing we did do is bought a lot more inventory ahead of time to try and get ahead of the curve, anticipating some of these problems. So maybe that's a lesson learned in a good way. That's and so uh, everyone I'm talking to, it feels like this double edge, like there's success, but yet you know, home builders, oh, we're, we can't we can't keep our inventory of homes, but yet we can't get lumber to build our products. I was talking to a yeah, large lumber. a large yeah. contractor today, and they can't get pipe to put in the ground to do the developments yeah. to to run these big to, to do these big projects that they've got. They're like, yeah, we're successful. We've got X amount of backlog and work, but yet we can't get you know even one of our clients at, at my agency is Honda Canada, and they they they. Yeah. The motorcycles are flying and quads are flying off the shelves, but yet they can't get them in because they can't get them. Everything is backlogged from computer chips to shipping to, it feels like it's, 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 it's a form of inflation coming in in a, in a, in a different way that maybe I don't know was expected six months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of inflation, I don't know how they calculate it. I know they got a bunch of very smart people that do this for a living, but from what I can tell and what we experience every day, there's inflation here right now. I mean, just so much demand and it's just the laws of economics kicking in. And so prices go up and, uh, cause demand's high. And I don't know, it's said, but the good news for us is, you know, being a commodity producer, uh, the price is higher. I mean, the price of canola, for example, is doubled. Uh, so at least on the grain and oil seed side, okay. not so much the cattle side, it's a little different, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if we, if we got farmers could do well this year, if they, if if no storms they get moisture. Yes, I grew up on a farm. And the, the, the price of corn, the price of soybeans. Do you keep them in the bin? Do you ship them? Do you sell now? Do you oh, wait yeah. to the future? Is yeah. there going to be a hailstorm two days before yeah. the crop yeah, needs yeah, to yeah. come off? Like it is. You are death by a million variables as a farmer. Every, everything can get you. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. It's not for the faint of heart. No, no, it is definitely not. So when you think about as Alberta and the role we play in the role ag plays, but also the role the consumer plays, are you noticing any different behavior? Is it influencing or is it a conversation that's happening around the table with your members around, you know, buy local farm to fork? Uh, some of the things of people going, wow, I, I want to know where my food's coming from. I want to take my supply chain, my own personal supply chain of my fridge. Let's be honest. It comes right down to sooner or later. You'll know it's, you'll know it's a big deal when you go to the store and you can't get what, what you want. Is that a conversation that's happening? Cause it feels like there's many steps in between, but ultimately it feels like it's starting to get back to knowing where your beef comes from, knowing where your vegetables come from kind of mindset. And how's that affecting the industry in your mind? Oh, big time. Um, you know, they, it's, it seems like a truism that for trends that had already started, the, the pandemic hits, it accelerated a whole bunch of them, obviously e-commerce and a bunch of other things. But uh, this is another one I think that's been accelerated, you know, food sustainability. Where does my food come from? The traceability of it, uh, uh, the sustainability. You know where sustainable farming practices used. Can I? I want to source locally. Um, I think, you know, those sorts of demands in the marketplace, at least in the first world, um, uh, have increased su- substantially, and so it creates opportunity uh, for um, for for farmers or those wanting to get into into the industry, frankly, to satisfy this this new type of demand. Let's say it's it's um, you know uh, we want uh, tailored product for our our particular needs, uh, and uh, and so that that is a change, no no doubt about it. And I see it uh, continuing. 
uh, and um, and creates opportunity in the agricultural economy, I think, to satisfy that new, new type. Well, which hopefully also maybe commands a few more, I'm going to not say dollars, I'm going to say pennies, because when it gets yeah. to food, sometimes you are talking about pennies in terms of what a customer is willing to spend that little bit extra to get that, what's imp- to, to get what's important to them ultimately. So with that said, with all of this, you know, need to be efficient, but also to supply this new group of customers with this new demand. Are you also seeing, I can only imagine like every industry, the ag industry is also being disrupted by technology. Cause I think about where my food comes from. So I think about blockchain, I think about precision farming and making sure that I'm not putting one pound of extra fertilizer on, on a, on a, on a, on a square meter of land that doesn't need it because that's not what that, that part of the field needs. And I, I, everything I'm seeing is that that's coming on fast and furious. And I had someone on the show and they talked about, they said, well, Tyler, who's more innovative than farmers. They've been always for years finding new ways, whether it's how they seed, how they fertilize. He goes, it only makes sense that they're going to be innovative with new technologies. And I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really positive perspective that I, that I didn't really hadn't put that filter on it. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, farmers are uh, surprisingly fast adopters of technology. Not, you know, I mean, everybody goes at their own pace and some, some, you know, it, to generalize, to make a point, I suppose uh, it's a generational thing a little bit, but boy, oh boy, no, there's, uh, if, if farmers see the the benefit and they're they're sharp and they are to the bottom line on it, um, they'll adopt the technology quickly and put it in day to day practice. And you're right, precision farming, uh, the use of data and decision making is far more pronounced now. Uh, the use of your phone, I mean, and, uh, uh, to run your business to uh, real time figure out you know moisture content, fertilizer. Uh, it's very sophisticated. Now you take a quarter section of land and figuring out, yeah, put a little more fertilizer here. Or what sort of chem- chemistry do I need? And, and it's all about using less, more effectively, uh, more sustainably. It, it, you know, the cost equation seems to line up with the the environmental equation. Usually, they go they go together. So there's a real drive towards efficient uh, farming practices, which are sustainable farming practices. Um, it, 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 and we're just at the start of this. And again, I think it's another trend that sort of got accelerated a bit out of the out of the pandemic. Um, one caveat, though, uh, uh, we need uh, more broadband. Uh, you, Scott, you, be, you you cut me off at my next question. I'm like, do yeah, we have well, the infrastructure to be able to then support all this data that's moving around? And what I'm reading and hearing is we don't yet, and that's that's a, that's an investment that has to happen at a provincial and a national level, from what I've been hearing. Like, that's no individual yeah, group is going to be able. We got we have to do that together. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I'm not an expert in how it all works, but it, 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 as I understand it anyway, like it, it's an overlapping regulatory challenge because you get the Fed zone involved in the province, and then you, you know they they have these spectrum auctions, and so and somehow the ag sector seems to fall through the cracks. And, and, and yes, there's been tremendous advances in terms of broadband capability, and it's happening, but it needs to happen far more quickly and far more. Uh, Strategically, I would say. I mean, I don't know how many comical Zoom calls I've been on with rural uh, members of our organization, where you know they freeze and they drop off, and, and you finally end up just doing a conference call because it's just the connectivity isn't there. And, and that's a, you know, we just at, as urban dwellers, and I live in the city. I mean, we we take a lot for granted. We we complain and we have our own issues, but but nothing compared to rural. Canadians and 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 it's a huge it's a huge problem everywhere right now. But the U.S. are moving fast. They're going to spend trillions literally to fix this. Uh, we got to be doing the same and sort out whatever the regulatory challenge. I know it's not it's complicated. I'm not blaming anybody, but sit down in a room and figure it out. Because uh, you know, I'm telling you, uh, without broadband and the ability to to process all this data that we have the ability to accumulate now it's all kind of moot isn't it the, these uh, opportunities of precision farming we talk yeah it, it's it's a nice story but quick you're only as good as your weakest link right and i think that you're yeah. what we take yeah. for granted of and i've had a few guests on the show that were rural and they're like well let me call you in the morning and let you know if it's a good internet day because if it's a good internet day we can do the podcast otherwise we can't do it and i'm like yeah. that's not a conversation i nor- i normally have and you know if it takes me more than three seconds for it to load i'm upset versus when i remember growing up on the farm it was dial up and it was you know if things if the stars were aligned, literally, you would get internet that day, or they, or you would not. And do you see and like 
I guess, and I'm not pushing into the political realm, I want to be very careful here. I guess, do you have hope and do you have optimism coming out of something like what we've just come through in COVID? That, And you said it yeah. earlier on, which I really like, that right away people got really collaborative really quickly. They said, yeah, we're only going to solve these problems if we work together. That's something I would love to see us go forward with, which I know everyone goes back to their corner and wants to fight for their little piece of territory, which I understand. It's, you know regulatory and all that. Do you see that opportunity and is there maybe a hope that there is going to be that level of collaboration to help us move through some of these obstacles? Yeah, I am optimistic, but, uh, but, but with one caveat and you know, you mentioned the earlier in the podcast, you know, never waste a crisis. I mean, I was somewhat more optimistic in the midst of the crisis because it really galvanized all stakeholders to cooperate. And, you know, we, I was involved in a committee that wrote an action plan and, you know, broadband was the centerpiece to it. And there was a real impetus. Let's do something about this. And then what, what's happened is we've kind of gotten back to day-to-day stuff and, and the economy's doing well because the stimulus spending really appears to be working. And I'm, I'm fearful that we, you know, with everything recovering again, we, we lose that impetus, that drive to, to really move fast because it's a speed game now. I mean, whoever gets there first is going to get uh, the industries that come in behind it, that value-add side to ag, which we're all fighting for. No one's won that war yet. Uh, you know, we, we should be a winner. But, you know, it's going to be speed uh, to the plate and, and, uh, and, and broadband's a big part of it. But to answer your question, yeah, I think a lot of smart people in, in, in places that have decision-making get it. Uh, and so, yes, I, I am optimistic, but we've got to keep pushing on our end. That's part of our job, I think. No, I hear you. And I think that you're, you're right there. there it, it is a bit of a race and fortunately or not, we need to keep that impetus and keep the, keep the fire lit. And I, 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 I agree with you during, during the middle of it, there was a, like, even as organizations I was dealing with the level of alignment that was created just because the pressure was, it was, there was a common foe and we were all rallying against that to solve that problem. So hey, I'd love to chat a little bit about, you chaired the ag and forestry table for economic recovery council of Alberta. And I did have an opportunity to read the document and, and I'll be, I'm going to be very candid to the audience. It might might not sound like a riveting document at first when you first hear it. <laughs> an industry plan to grow ag and forestry in Alberta, but it was incredibly well put together. You and your co-author did a great job of it. So maybe chat a little bit about that experience. And I can only imagine the just sheer amount of conversations and 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 things that went on to lead up to this document. <laughs> well, it began some history for context, and uh, so the, the, the uh, we. Um, the, this ag and forestry table you mentioned was a, a subcommittee really of the economic recovery council, which is a, a group of largely business people that was, uh, uh, I think wisely established right at the time of the crisis by premier Kenny. So he said, you know, yeah, I think he said, look, I need help here. What are we going to do? So let's get some, uh, known people that have got expertise and, and, and lots of insight and, and, uh, and influence together. And so that committee was formed and then they subcontracted out, if you like some of the industry work to, uh, various uh, uh, sector tables, they were called, of, of which uh, the forestry and ag group was one. And then I got a call from the Business Council of Alberta saying, would you mind uh, chairing this? And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, we, we'd like you to meet like tomorrow with a team of 14. So uh, please put that together this evening and let's get going. That, that's the nature of a crisis. So we actually did that. <laughs> yep. And uh, the co-author to this report, Kim O'Connell, who's a legend in ag, was the first person I called and other uh, names in the industry, John Simpson and Key Jim and, and some academics, uh, Stan Blake from the University of Alberta, a number of very important individuals but in, in business and in academia, uh, almost without question, joined the, the group. Our first task was, what's the crisis and how do we solve it? That was the Premier's ask. So, you know, our first crisis was the, the meatpacking uh, issue and what do we do with all the cattle uh, coming in behind and the poor farmers who weren't getting paid for the sale of their cattle because there was nowhere to process um, so we did, we dealt with the crisis side, and then once that settled down a bit, we took to the task of what's the strategic plan. That's what the premier asked. Where, where should we invest? And so we figured we had the best table for that, and 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 we decided, you know, we're going to come up with something crisp, clean, and action focused. And we came up with, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a plan that that was, you know, short on words. It wasn't a tune, but quick on on, on obvious. What we felt uh, categories of investment. So. You know the sustainability economy, and the you know why shouldn't Alberta lead the the carbon offset, uh, carbon trading market, which is going to be a hundred billion dollar market? Why shouldn't we be the leaders in that? Uh, you know, uh, trade and export catalyzation through infrastructure investments, uh, uh, value add. We've you know we're a great producer of raw material in this province, but, 
let's invest in value add, uh, stimulate investment through through uh, sources of capital, through the government or through private equity or you know uh, broadband connectivity, and then and then you know let's be a voice all of us for the ag sector in Alberta across the world and get the word out that we're we're in business and we intend to grow this thing. So yeah, it was a really exciting time to put together a plan. Uh, we've submitted it to the government, and I know they liked it and uh, are proceeding on a number of these findings. And, and we want to keep pushing to, to get all of this enacted because, frankly, uh, I'd like to look back in 10 years' time and feel like this was a catalyst to change that, that took ag and this province to the next level. I'm curious, when uh, you delivered this plan, are, like, what ha I'm always curious about the what happened next. And I, you, you, you did your portion yeah. and you kind of handed it over and you, the government's taken it in. Have you seen some actions or have you seen some tangible things happening in terms of where we where you would like? Because I'm assuming you've probably got quite a bit of ownership in terms of, you know, this document was not put together lightly and it's got some very actionable items in here, which I found, which I was really impressed based on yeah. the, you know, here's the opportunity and here's the bold idea. Literally, this is the way you guys laid it out. It was impressive. Yeah, and, 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 and there has been action. To the government's credit, the provincial government's credit, there's been a significant investment made in, um, in, in irrigation asset uh, uh, construct, uh, 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 asset infrastructure, uh, you know, in the billions of dollars, really. Uh, and that's a, that's a huge initiative and, 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 you know, right in the wheelhouse of, of what we're talking about. Uh, but there's a lot more to do. And I would say to you, you know, we're, we, we, we would like to see uh, us all move faster, is the truth. Uh, and that's not a criticism of anybody because we, we, we all got day jobs and a lot to do. I mean, this is, you know, I'm running a biz business as well. Uh, but uh, really, these, these planks, as we call them, uh, are still open. And, uh, you know, there's still action that can be taken, serious action on all of them. And we continue to push. We have meetings a lot with a lot of stakeholders include, and, and, and everybody, uh, I'm, I give credit uh, to listen. And we've, we have had some tangible uptake on some specific ideas in the, in the report. Uh, but I think there's, frankly, more, more we can do. Because, as I say, uh, we're in competition here with the rest of the world. Uh, everybody's got a report like this. Uh, it's, it's not rocket science, right, to say that you should get in value-add and ag. I mean, you don't need a PhD to figure that out. And here we are with 25 million acres of raw material that we produce. So let's get after it. No, I like, yeah, I really like what you said that this is, that this is a global kind of co competition, if, if you will. But a lot of things I was reading in here, these are not, these are not segregated to the, to the ag industry. These are applied across all of Alberta. Thanks, you know, thanks like leading the sustainable economy that applies to our yeah. resource sector. Like there was definitely a lot of uh, kind of broader picture thinking in terms of this isn't just supporting one industry. This is a broader, you know, I, this, I felt this very much as a provincial, you know, a provincial roadmap of where we can all benefit from. I listen, and, and if you take our first plank about the sustainable economy, I mean, um, you know, and, 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 and coming to grips with the carbon question, which is the question of our age, and, and, and we're a commodity producing nation that, that, that generates greenhouse gas uh, emissions, we do. But we also do it uh, in, in a way that's uh, frankly uh, as sustainable and, and using practices that are amongst the best in the world. And we're the inventor of a lot of, 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 of what is a good about our industry and our point is that you know let's take it let's first take off the, the hair shirt uh, and, and and be objective and tell the story truthfully and honestly about what we do in our sectors yes they're they're resource sectors so they generate greenhouse gas they you know but the, the point is we need them for you know we got to feed be part of feeding the world here we got to double food production in the next generation so let's tell the story and learn ourselves to do things better and take advantage in, in, in sharing the message. So, uh, you know, I promised I wouldn't get on my soapbox. That's okay. I don't mind if you at least put one very, foot on it, Scott. That's okay. I, 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 you and I, I share similar views. And, uh, you know, there's sometimes there's a, there's a narrative out there that, uh, that makes one think that we could just turn these things off, but yet it's no, how we, our world functions. As you said, there's a, you know, there's yeah. a, the, the energy need for the globe is only increasing. And there's countries that, you know, I had someone on and they said, well, who are we to say when there's, places in the world that don't have energy abundance like we have here or food abundance. Some of the things that we very much take for granted, like you and I taking for granted our reliable broadband connections, <laughs> you know, it, it, it trickles down very, 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 very quickly. Um, 
thinking about something I'm just curious and kind of maybe pivoting back on something we talked about earlier. You know, I grew up in rural Quebec. I grew up on a farm and it was the, it was, there was the smaller family farms. And, you know, as I moved away and my parents eventually sold the farm, but eventually they were still family farms, but it was two or three generations. So now they needed to bolt four or five, six farms together to sustain everybody. So each, you know, the road I grew up on used to be a whole bunch of individual farmers. Now it was one, one family that owned multiple farms kind of bolted together. So curious out here, is there still a balance between between, you know, and I know that the scope and scale in Alberta is so much bigger than where I grew up, where a couple hundred acres in Quebec, it was a couple quarter sections here. Just curious of the balance between what is the corporate farm, uh, knowing that they're all a business versus the family run farm and kind of what that balance looks like and maybe how you see that unfolding and what, how healthy it is to have that balance or where we're headed that way. Well, I mean, first off, at least in the Alberta context, and I think it's true in the Western, uh, Western Canada, uh, it's it, this is a family farm operation. Our farmers and ranchers are, you know, the most efficient model we've got is the family uh, farm. Now, family these days can mean cousins and and uh, in, in our Mennonite communities and Hutterite communities. Uh, you know, that's a big family, and these are big operations. Uh, so don't don't confuse family farm with with size. Uh, some of these operations are small countries. To be honest with you, literally, I, we have members at sixty thousand acres, seventy thousand acres. That kind of that kind of that blows my mind a little bit. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> it, it, it's absolutely huge, but and, and not all of them. And then we have smaller operations, and especially more, you know, uh, niche operations or uh, operations in farming. Now, you know, we have a vibrant greenhouse industry in in, in Alberta uh, that's developed, which uh, you know isn't sort of measured in acres. That's not really the measuring stick. Hmm, but, but when it comes back to food and is, production, you have to take those things into consideration because it is all part yeah. of the part of that supply yeah. chain, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that's true. I think the, the stat is the average farm size has quadrupled since the 1960s. So there's no question, you know, there's there's a there's economies of scale, efficiency and scale. Uh, that's not going to change. Uh, but the family farm remains the, the bedrock backbone of, of of agriculture, at least at the, um, at the at the production end of things. When you get into value add and maybe the manufacturing of of food into products that we put on our our table. Taking canola to the crushing stage and then into uh, uh, you know value-add products. Well, that can be more, and usually is more corporate-driven. But but the, the raw material production, the farming operations, the bedrock of our economy. That's a that's a family farm operation, and uh, and I hope that it stays that way. To me, uh, that is uh, that is the strength of our rural communities ultimately. No, I appreciate that perspective. And I was just curious because I grew up in it, but I, I'm a bit disconnected from it now. So I was really, this yeah. is also my own opportunity to kind of get to get reintroduced to it and hopefully give the audience a, maybe a bit of an understanding of kind of what is all around us that we don't, you just don't see. You might, you go on a long drive. That's somebody's farm you're driving through ultimately. Um, yeah. Something you said about the value add products and our ability to take these raw materials and turn them into consumable goods. How are we in Alberta where we sit there? Is that balanced out? Could we do better in that area in terms of taking more of that opportunity of not having to ship some of our raw goods out of province to, to be processed and dealt with? Yeah, I think there's significant opportunity to expand it's the scope and scale of our, you know, let's call it value add side. I mean, we if you think of the energy sector, uh, we did a lot of it. I mean, we have a huge refining uh, uh, infrastructure in the Edmonton area north of Port Saskatchewan and world, you know, that's on world scale. I mean, we we can do something of the same thing in terms of the processing of a raw material and then ultimately turning it into product uh, to put on uh, in, your, in your supermarket. Um, we do a lot of it now. I think the stat is one dollar, one for one. So, uh, you know, the value add side is one dollar for every one dollar of raw material or raw. Okay, so that, so so that would imply yeah. a, a balanced equation. Mm -hmm. Well, it's balanced, but you know, frankly, it should probably be more like four or five to one. Uh, is, okay, is really where um, I think uh, more developed uh, uh, value-add uh, economies are getting to. And look, there's no question that raw material export is going, is and should continue to be a huge uh, uh, foundation stone of the of our economy. We are a major, Canada is, and Alberta is a major exporter of, of wheat, barley, canola seed. Uh, you know, the, the raw, the, the basic ingredients in food production globally, um, you know, that's not going to change. 
change, nor should it change. I'm curious, Frankly, where is, I, I know I know China's a large consumer there. Some's going, yeah. you know, to, to take a page from the, the our resource industry, who we've become yeah. a very reliant on a, sing, on a single customer, uh, just getting an understanding or helping the audience. Uh, is our consumers from a, our exports from a food perspective, or are we a little more balanced out there? Do we, do, do we are we better set up from a multi-customer uh, perspective? Yes, that, that's a very good point, actually. It's not, you know, the U.S. is a, we supply the U.S. market, but they're also a competitor to ours. They, they grow some of the same commodity we do or, or comparable commodity uh, that can be used for the same purposes. But, you know, Asia is a large, large market, obviously, and, 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 and a growing market. That's the other thing is, you know, Asian, the Asian market, the protein demand is going to scale um, uh, by a factor of, I don't know, significant increase, let's put it that way, in, in demand. So you've got an expanding pie that I think we all can take advantage of. That's a big piece of the action. Europe traditionally is a big market um, as well. So, uh, uh, you know, several billion in these markets, uh, there's there's plenty uh, to choose from. And you're right, it is a little bit more diversified, although I'll, I'll say this, we are uh, uh, also, though, carry the risk of uh, some of the, our markets are, you know, the, the political regimes or their approach to doing business is different than ours, maybe not as transparent. And we, we do get caught up in the geopolitics, unfortunately, um, you know, and the, and the issue uh, with our, we, we technically have a, you know, canola seed ban that is in place in China because of, of you know, factors beyond our farmers' control. So, you know, you, 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 unfortunately, sooner or later, politics you know, does, politics shows up at the table is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. So from a perspective of the, the road ahead, we have a group of customers that demand is rising. We've got this incredible asset here. So curious your view, and you know, this is definitely more of a crystal ball question, and, and as a group that's there to kind of support this industry, how do you guys see the next few years un unfolding in terms of, you know, is there certain pillars that you see will really, or is it more just, like you said, staying the path with some of these, these, these planks of opportunity that you put forward, that we've got to get these things out of the way so that we can keep supplying this com customer who has this increasing demand? Yeah, I, I do see, I, I think we're going to, I'm quite optimistic we're going to take advantage of the opportunity, uh, given our we have the raw material, for example. So I do see value-add processing um, uh, investment increasing. It already is happening. Uh, there's been major Are those dollars coming from outside the province? I'm curious, like those value-add partners, are those big global players or North American players? Or are we doing some of that grassroots? Like what, what does that business model look like? Well, it's a mix. Um, it's, it's a combination. A lot of them are international organizations or, or, or the equity, the, the financing is coming from all sorts of different sources, uh, frankly. And some of it's the, the large agricultural players that are already there. A lot of, a lot of them are international. Some are Canadian, though. Um, and, and so it's going to be a mix. So I, I think that uh, I think there's, there's plenty of opportunity to go around for uh, foreign capital to come in. We want to attract as much of that as possible, local capital, uh, private capital. I think the government has a role to play uh, through direct investment or, or uh, supporting the industry through, you know, the regulatory um, uh, an under, a clear regulatory path to building a, a factory. Because um, typically those are government. those are large, like large time horizon capital expenditure investments, but they're not they're not something that comes in and goes out. This is when a company like that invests to put something you know boots on the ground and 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 brick and mortar. This is typically for longer term, like these are long term time horizons that these organizations are planning for when they build these larger yeah. facilities. To me, Absolutely. which is optimistic, that's a real sign that there's a commitment to the road ahead. Mm -hmm. Take take a ride, uh, drive down around the Lethbridge, and drive over to say Tabor, and see the the agricultural uh, infrastructure and value add processing that's already in place in this province. And you, it, it's an eye opener if you don't if you haven't been down there for a while. I've it's, had a, a few clients on the show. They're they're talking about rural. I think it was Todd Hirsch actually from ATV was on, and he was chatting about certain doing a tour around Alberta. And he goes there, you know, and he used Lethbridge as an example of of a you know an, a, of of a jurisdiction of a municipality that was essentially very minimally affected by the oil and gas downturn because they were so well diversified and balanced out with ag. And that was the first time I, I said, oh yeah, I, I I never thought about it that way. But he goes, yeah, it's it's worth it. It's it's a model worth checking out specifically because they were able to balance themselves out with having another industry at the table. And one thing to remember too is just if we if we do the value add here, it doesn't mean that we're going to consume it all. You know, we're a, our population's relatively small. That's going to get exported. And um, you know, I was on I've been on a couple of calls listening to the ambassador, our ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, uh, who's a fascinating individual, incredibly well 
Yeah, if you can get them on your podcast, you're well, cheap. Scott, we, you and I might have to conspire afterwards because I would love yeah. that would be a perspective that I would love to personally hear. I think my guests would find very interesting. <laughs> he, he made it a really funny. He told a really funny story in China about how Tim Hortons have really found a niche in China, and 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 a lot of the customers will show up with lumberjack shirts on and wait in line for as long as it takes to get in because it's cool. Canada's cool and we're considered high quality value add. And so there's enormous value add export potential into uh, Asia because of our percept, our brand perception. So forget about the political stuff. I mean, there's business to be done. And, and the other, that's really interesting. I, you, you, the things you just don't know or don't expect when you think about, I I love the idea of going to China and seeing a lineup for Tim Hortons of people wearing a plaid jackets. That would be, yeah, that would, that would make my day for sure. Well, the other thing he said too, and, 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 and um, all seriousness, we, we have a tremendous advantage in that the shipping distance uh, to Northern Asia from Alberta is a huge advantage over, say, the United States. Just the curvature of the Earth works in our favor. It, it's where we're way closer. So, it, and that's a big deal. So, you know, we've got real aces in the hole here if we choose to play them right. Well, it sounds like it's not if we should play them, it's when and how how we should play them to be more. I'm, I'm, I'm all about moving, moving yeah. forward, and I, I love yeah. the perspective. And yeah. I think it's great for guests on the show to really understand the impact that ag can have. And and, and even take it away from ag, just think about food. Think about what is more relatable for all of us as as, in, as individuals, and think about the role we can play proudly on the world stage. So I'm going to ask you a little bit. I know you, you, you gave me the caveat before that forestry is not your area of expertise, and I yeah. will definitely take you up at connecting yeah. with uh, some certain individuals. But... When you think about the opportunity for forestry in Alberta, much like ag, again, this is my own assumption, that if you're not involved with it, it's very easy to not understand or not have a clue what that even means. In, in certain parts of Alberta, you look around, you go, what forestry can play? We don't have that many trees. <laughs> Me moving here from out east, that was definitely my impression when I landed in Calgary. But maybe if you want to just touch on that industry or a little bit, even maybe what you learned or became aware of through through this uh, the process here. Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if agriculture is sort of an undertold story, um, forestry perhaps is even more so. Um, we have a huge tracks of, 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 um, of, of uh, economically um, uh, in-demand forest products in particularly north and northwest uh, Alberta uh, that are really, you know, we think of BC as, as, as the king of forestry and indeed in North America they are. I think it's a third of uh, production comes ultimately from BC, but, but Alberta has a huge share as well. Um, and uh, and and, uh, and it can be harvested in a sustainable way, uh, frankly. And that's where you need the expertise from my, my colleague on the committee to, to really take you through some of the some of the uh, the lessons learned from Scandinavia, in particular, who who harvest who who looked objectively at how to harvest uh, the resource and sustain it at the same time. And, and frankly, it takes foresight, government, uh, industry involvement, planning, and the rest. But I can tell you, the resource is there waiting. Uh, and the and you've, we all have heard about the price of lumber. Uh, yes, it's. It, it, I would say anyone who's in that industry right now, that's at a crisis level right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, you know, uh, it's it's uh, and a lot of it's just due to the the booming U.S. Uh, housing market, frankly, which is driving driving uh, this demand. And, uh, and and you know, they need to get it from Canada. Uh, from Canada, we export it uh, a lot of it, given our size and the resource base we have. Well, I'll definitely take you up on uh, getting connection because it's, it's forestry is not a topic we've had on the show. It's just I've not had someone speak to it. But when you think about immediately start thinking about forestry as a crop and you start to think about it the way farmers think about that, they're going to grow another crop and they're going to plan ahead and they're going to manage the soil and they're going to do everything they need to do. It's, it's not a... It, it, to make it sustainable, it is, it's a, it is a longer-term vision to your point and to harvest it in, in a way farm. that makes it sustainable only makes sense to do it any other way. just doesn't even make sense environmentally or from a business perspective. It's not a one and done situation. Mm-hmm. I think it can easily get looked at that way because it, you know, a tree, unlike a crop is a different cycle, but anyways, I won't go too far down on now. I'm wading into territory where I don't understand, but I do appreciate the real understanding of that. You know, we are a resource rich country and we also have some of the best practices in the world in terms of how we manage that. And there's always room for improvement, but I, I don't question that we're on, that we're on that path, and this is to to know the role that we can play globally while supporting ourselves locally. To me, that's that that's the story we need to keep telling and and keep improving on. Well, Scott, I well, hey, I didn't want to, we almost remiss. Uh, there's a special day coming up on Friday, which I didn't even know about. I've lived in Alberta for 20 years, and we better talk about it. Um, it's Farmers Day on 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 June 11. Tell me a little bit about what Farmers Day is all about. And I feel very remiss that I wasn't even aware. Well. Frankly, a lot of people aren't aware, and, and um, so this, so the reason it's June in June, and 
there's nothing, you know, June 11th is because typically the spring planning season is over. So even the, the guys up in the peace country are pretty close to being done. So the, the thinking is, you know what, let's celebrate what we've just accomplished and, uh, you know, uh, have a celebration over that and then get ready for the next step, which is ultimately going to lead into the harvest in the fall. So, um, and, and, and I guess it was really, and I better get these dates right. I'll, my UFA history, history uh, buffs, and there's lots of them. We'll uh, send you notes and, well, hey, well, that, Scott. That way, we know we listen to they listen to the end. So that's a well, good that's a good sign. This is the Easter egg we're burying exactly, in the podcast. The but I think it was in 1945. Is what I'm saying that the um, okay, right at the, the end, basically Japanese right at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the um, one of the AGMs UFA had. We proclaimed Farmers Day, and and uh, and and the Social Credit Government at the time took it up in in the early 50s. Uh, actually, made it a stat holiday. So it was uh, kids got day off school, everything. Um, it, it, from like 1950 to 1970 or thereabouts, and and eventually it kind of fell off uh, uh, from a, being an official stat holiday, and it, but it's still celebrated in many communities today. And then, you know, we in a way let it drift a bit at UFA too. And about 10 years ago, we decided, you know what, uh, we're the ones that it came up with this. It, it's important for our membership. And why not celebrate the day? Uh, yeah, we try and do some business out of it, but really, it's more about. Uh, you know, in a normal year, we'd have a lot of you know flipping hamburgers and hot dog. And, yes, quote unquote, a normal a normal year. I hear, I hear. Right in yeah. the parking lot, and 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 uh, and I'd be there behind the you know sweating like crazy, trying to keep up with the demand, and 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 uh, so we do it all virtually, and we have you know all sorts of social media stuff. And uh, by the way, you could, if you want to see it in evidence, and you're in Edmonton, Calgary, or Lethbridge, uh, we they they light up the high level bridge and the Calgary Tower and the city hall in Lethbridge and our our green and uh, Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's, Hey, there's no, I, 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 if we want to get farming back on, you know, know, I'm not saying we should put it in as a stat, but if we wanted some, draw some, draw some attention and, and, and help us realize the connection we do have to the agriculture in our world. And that it is something that we all benefit from every day, whether we even know it or whether we realize it or not. Mm. Scott, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. You gave me a great, a little bit of a history lesson and certainly a perspective on not only the opportunity, like how powerful and how much, how substantial the ag industry is in our, in our province. But what I really heard and what I'm excited about is the economic and the opportunity for us to play on the global stage even more than we are. Not that we're not doing that now, but going forward as we get more serious about where our food comes from and where it's produced and the quality and, you know, the, the sustainability that's put behind that. It makes me really optimistic again about the road ahead for Alberta. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion. Scott, it was an absolute pleasure and uh, good to have, have, enjoy. Are you going to be, are you going to make a few burgers at least on, on Farmer's Day, even, even at your own office? (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, I'm going to do it on my own barbecue. I think we're, we're still being careful here and uh, we're almost through this. So uh, we don't want to make a mistake right at the end, but no, we uh, we can't wait to do it properly next year, but no, I'll, I'll be doing it on my own barbecue. Uh, on this coming no, I, I hear you. We're close to the finish line. So stay, 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 stay hold the line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scott, absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah.